If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This week of This Life is brought to you by Alliant University School of Psychology. We encourage you to listen more about them after the break. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Ford and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the iPhone for another episode of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest, because people listen to their iPhones. Oh, yeah. That's Candy Finnegan. Of course, you guys know her uh, 30 years of experience, multiple certifications in addiction medicine, you know, from the A&E series intervention. Candy's husband is here, Mike Finnegan, also sober for 30 plus years. Musician has played with Jimi Hendrix, Etta James. You know this about? Yeah, right? I do. Yeah, James Crosby still Nash last year. Specialized in the Hammond B three and uh, just back from Australia, where he was playing with uh, Bonnie Raitt. Cool, yeah, very cool. Yeah, Australia and, and New Zealand and Hawaii, and uh, I'm still trying to figure out what time it is. Oh my God, yeah, I can bet. Oh, yeah, sounds awful. You're a doctor. What should I do? Go Mel- to bed melatonin. Or stay up? Melatonin. Well, <laughs> okay. yeah, it's uh, you stay up until you can't take it anymore. But That's what I've been doing. Yeah. Then you'll end up waking up anyway. After I, a few one hours. of the guys in the band I talked to the other day, and he goes, he actually emailed me at, at midnight and said, "I've been awake for 24 hours. Oh. I'm I'm dead tired and hungry. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, <laughs> at the hungry, same time, angry, lonely, tired, fantastic. Yeah. So, Candy, how are things going these days? You know, really good. I just um, intervention is taking on kind of a new persona and. Uh, not quite sure what it's going to look like. It's still going to be the show. Uh-huh. We're still going to be intervening. But as you well know, there's a huge epidemic in the United States of opiates. Per- yeah, yeah. And uh, the opiate summit was just in Atlanta. Uh, and uh, What came out of that? <laughs> a lot of opiates, it sounds like. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it really is unnerving to me. I went to the first one in Orlando four years ago and... Then it moved to Atlanta, and and it's been there ever since. And it's a whole bunch of people that talk about these tragic stories and all these kids that die and hub-nub and a few cocktails because, needless to say, they're not all in recovery. (laughs) And then they all leave, and I always go, what was that? So you know? everyone wants to do something, but no solution. But the, well, there's going to never be a solution if there's lobbyists and billions of dollars, as you well know. Well, so. that's what Bob, I've been telling Bob. I said the, the Suboxone, the company that manufactures Suboxone, with in concert with the government, with the National Drug Abuse, they co-created it. They're getting Bob. They're getting breaks. They don't have generics because the government is obviating all that. Mm-hmm. These guys are making billions of dollars off Suboxone. They're now mobilizing doctors that don't know anything about addiction. And saying they have to have 250 patients in each practice. I was talking to Bruce Heistrober on uh, Weekly Infusion, this other podcast we do, and he he, he uses Suboxone. He's he's, a, he's sort of an advocate. And I'm like, okay, everything everything has its place. But he was like, I go, how many how many how many Suboxone patients do you take at a time? Ten, ten. Couldn't possibly do more than that. 250. 250. You think, that, you think that's going to go okay? You know what? In in my recovery life. 
in working with newer guys, I've had plenty of guys that that were that came out of a treatment center or something on Suboxone, and, uh-huh. and the idea being this is to help you initially. I, to my understanding, and uh, I knew it was like a dangerous item when I heard about guys selling it to each other. Right. <laughs> it's like that's a tip off, you right. know. Well, now you should know what the position is of the lawyers, Bob, and the medical community, which is if you take your patient off Suboxone, you're killing them. You're actively killing them. If you take because them off. If you take Even them after off. a year. Huh? Well, Even after any time because they will relapse and they will die. Period. You killed them. You, you that's that's it's, not true. I, I understand that. Yeah. I understand that. But believe me, I understand that. But yeah, that's the current. They, it, so now, if I let's say I say I go out and I try to get them off, I get them off the med, and the patient has a complication and dies, the liability is reckless negligence now. On you. On me. That's ridiculous. That's the, that, Bob? Well, that's, that's a, that sounds like of a piece of, of, of any, when the national government being involved in the problem of addiction, you know, we've got Jeff Sessions who, every time I hear him talk, I think I've been thrown back into 1936. <laughs> you know, uh, let you know me ta- let it me ta- all begins with the marijuana, and then they start listening to the swing music, and the next <laughs> next thing you know, they're dancing with colored people. That's funny. That's really that funny. was a quote from. And, this, and this is a guy that's going to talk to us about drugs. Please yeah. give me a break. Or Christy. Um, well, that's well, who we're going to talk to. We're so. talking to Christy on yeah. Monday. He's Chris actually, Christy, but he, yeah. but he's actually he's in our court. He's, he's just, got the mind of a chicken. <laughs> But, he, but he's at least in our court. He's like, I, he's knew, sort of, I knew this was going to be a good show. <laughs> but let me let me say one thing. Let's he couldn't tell the truth on. He'd rather climb a tree to lie if he could get his big ass up one than now, to tell the truth on purpose. You know? Now you be nice, God. But you know what? What I was going to say to you is, is that I talked to the head in this small community suburb of Atlanta. I talked to the head narcotic guy, and he said to me, "Well." There's going to be an epidemic pretty soon. And I said, pretty soon? What are you talking about? We're in one. He goes, oh, another one. Yeah. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, crack cocaine. <laughs> and I said, is that because they can use crack cocaine and uh, when they're on Suboxone? Yes. He said, oh, I don't think that's true. That's rumor. Oh, it's 100% And I true. said, yeah. 100% true. Oh, I did it. It's but, good. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, Bobby's it works. Good. It does work. Yeah. And you can smoke pot. Buprenorphine and crack. Is a, I used to put coke in the buprenorphine. Well, of course you did. <laughs> Only you bless, would bless do your that. soul. You know, don't bless waste your heart. anything. That's good. I don't want to encourage any of the kids at don't, home. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> I now. Know. They're using drugs now that I've never even heard of. That's right. Which but makes know, me feel cheated somehow. <laughs> but you know, it was like I, I thought this is the guy that's head of this you know, county that has a huge epidemic. And I said, maybe you should go look that up. I said, yeah. it's in, works on your opiate receptors. Oh, that's right. Cat cracks a stimulant. And I went, so, so candy. And the they don't, by that, the way, they the don't screen, they don't screen them for anything except opiates, opiates. when they come back to see if the they're complying. The thing we've been talking about is the millennials, right? There's something, I don't know how many millennials you're dealing with in a case management basis. I had two of them at home. Okay. Enough said then. Yeah, but so they're, the, not, they're not, she's not dealing with them in, you know, in, in terms of life. staying sober. Yeah. Not, well, so, not so much? How come? Well, they're sober. They're, you oh, your kids. Oh, yeah, your kids. No, no, I mean, yeah. but out there in the world when you do. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. But they're the thousands so. and thousands, they make up 70% of the rehab market. 
Wow. They don't have the fundamentals that the 12-step philosophy is built on. They reject it. No, they just don't have the fundamentals. They weren't the, – the, our society has – they have no ambition. Everything sucks. You sound right? like Plato. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Socrates. I'm t- yeah. we're, we're talking about what do we do moving forward to instill – tell the story at the business school. Well, that you I, just told me. Well, I was just saying. He was, just spoke to a, a group full of the high-functioning millennials. Tell them what they said. And, and well, they're just watch very, this. They sent them to authoritarian. <laughs> Doctor Drew is too authoritarian. Yeah, authoritarian. What and and what way that you had? <laughs> because like, he you, has a brain. You, did you like say <laughs> this is this is some true stuff? Something. Yeah, you told You're, them the truth, and yeah. they thought that was authoritarian. <laughs> yeah. huh? Yes, it's exactly right. And and I'm not and I'm not Google. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not a whole slew of nonsense that I'm asking them to choose amongst. I'm telling them the truth, and right. that's how dare you? How let dare me you? let me say something really quickly, Mike. What what Mike, kind of class was that? Business well, I, I actually did, I just I had a series of lectures I gave to from high school to business school, and I had that experience across all ages from eighteen to twenty eight. That that's what I experienced. What? Was this sort of. Who, who do you th- who are and my, you to and the, tell us? And the thought bubble over my head in almost every interaction was it's sort of a curious like who do you think you are? Who oh, <laughs> you don't you don't I'm have any somebody experience. that's been you know this is I've been doing this for a long time. I learned a few things. This is that's, what I got for you. That's what I would say. And that's well, let me let me just say something that Mike pointed out to me about. I maybe it was about five or six months ago. He helps a lot of people um, in his in his re- in, in his recovery life. Yeah. And um, he said to me, the most disturbing thing to me, Candy, is all of these people, the, particularly, you know, all these guys that I'm trying to help, they've all been institutionalized. Yes. And, you know, so he had this kind of this guy that, that he'd worked with for a long time. The minute that he was going to get out of sober living and have to go back home and act like a father... I doubt a husband and maybe a son. And by the grace of God, his parents, his dad had money because he had totally supported his kid. He would relapse mm. and then he'd go right back. Now, that's one problem. But the other problem is all these treatment centers taking him back. Five times this kid did this in two years. Well, and, and, so what do we do with that? <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's, that's a million dollar question. I'm, I, this guy understands on an intellectual level, like, when I talk to him, like you notice a pattern here, you know. Uh, <laughs> we see you know, like, Let me draw it out for you yeah. on a piece of paper. This, 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 and then this happens, and and what it has to do with mainly is a twenty-six-year-old guy that's never really had a job, right. To speak of, and that's a, a situation that's a where, common thing. yeah, where he he looks out at the world and with those eyes and says. Um, I can't do it. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to do it. I haven't got any idea. Don't know where to start. And he's a smart guy. I mean, basic, you know, innate intelligence is there, certainly, and maybe some talent, which has yet to be discovered because he hasn't done anything except get loaded since he was 14. So Mm -hmm. there's no way of knowing. And I've tried to explain that, too. Like, who knows? You might be introduced to yourself someday if you, you know, do something other than go through this you know, this treadmill that you've been on for so long of get sober, stay sober for a period of time, start to like graduate into the world and then turn, you know, because of fear, essentially the unknown, 
you but know, there's run no back into in it. it, go go hide in a bottle again, you know. But there's no shame in it. I mean, I would have been so horrified. Well, I think there's shame in it. Oh, you I think do? There, oh. Yeah, I think so. I but it, it's like... The, Not the, the, being able to take care of yourself at 26 years old should be shameful. Well, yes, it should it be. Should a, but be I, I understand it. Uh, you know to, what I mean? I, I, Bob, I'm I understand with you. how he feels because, you know, and it's the usual, you know, the the old uh, caricature of the egomaniac with the inferiority complex. Yes, you know, like, that's what it is. You know, here he is. I don't think they have low self-esteem. I well, don't. you know, I, here's what I think. You know, it's like. It's like the old joke of, you know, am I a piece of crap or the or the greatest person on earth, you know, or, or Mr. Wonderful? And I said, well, you're a wonderful piece of crap at this point. So, you know, <laughs> or, or what my patients what, say, I feel like a piece of shit around which the whole world revolves. Right. <laughs> right? That's the right. old model. The, the yeah. new model is I'm great. The world is a piece of shit. That's what they believe. But well, I don't know about they, but because I, I like to go on a case by case basis. It's kind of like the way I work with guys that are newly sober is, you know, there's only six inches between a kick in the ass and a pat on the back. And so, you know, like some people need different things. Yeah. And, you know, my idea is, you know, I don't like to broad brush any group of people because, like, once you pull them out of that group and it's just me and you, or me and you and the recovery community that is demonstrating and, and modeling some other kind of behavior, maybe, you know, they're going to um, be able to grasp that. What you said about they don't have any of the fundamentals of 12-step, you know, well, a lot of people knew what the – I mean, I think most people know that it's better to tell the truth than to lie. I think most people understand that. Some people may not. You no, know. I'm not. I'm not saying. You know, that. some I'm people. Not, may, I, you miss. You miss yeah. speaking. I'm not saying they don't understand the twelve step. I'm saying they don't have the fundamentals right. of personal responsibility. Well, that's that, pretty much the way a drug addict behaves. You know. Yeah. So then they'll just be excused till. Ad until someone says you have to, you know, or you know, and the, the thing about it is, is I think that. When people are exposed to that, and ha- a lot of people, not all, all, but a few, like obviously the numbers are low, but, you know, it's, I think recovery can be progressive too but, but, in the sense of, you know, it feels good, you know. In other words, once you have a few months of, right, of good behavior and right action, then, oh, you know, it kind of, uh, kind of uh, uh, encourages itself somewhat. I, that's my experience. I, I, I agree with you on that, but right now there is something about, in particular the males I think you're thinking of, Bob, mm-hmm. and their place in the world. I'm just thinking right mm-hmm. now what occurred to me was the rehab group we treated. Uh, on, we didn't, we yes. did a non-celebrity group of rehabs. There were a lot of millennials Good. in that group. <laughs> and and well, that's all we used to do is only that. But yeah, they, everyone, everyone said, why didn't you treat non-celebrities? So we treated a non-celebrity group on TV. Nobody watched. So anyway, so we yeah. did it. And we treated them for a long time afterwards. We would go to their sober living. We'd see them. We'd meet with them. And down the street, literally 500 yards away, was a Starbucks. I went down there. I got the applications. They said they would hire any of our people from the sober living that showed up. And how many of them filled out the application? None. Zero. Is that right? Because this, well, that's so, not that's not good enough for those guys. Right? <laughs> well, that's the problem. But that's the problem. And they pay for college and a few <laughs> yeah. other things. But that's what we're, we're right in healthcare and everything. So where Nate the man and, went. And so Bob, that's the thing. I that's think where I met Nate. You know, he at was Starbucks? working at Starbucks. It's fantastic. Well, but I think right in there is the is the problem. They feel too. They're too well too educated, entitled. or too entitled, or too whatever. And so they they don't know how to get started in life anywhere. They just. I also they well, that's here. that's one of the things that you know. That's one of the things that twelve steps 
12 step is supposed to instill. In other words, like, you know, take one right action. Yeah. You know, take one step. You know, what is it? The longest, the longest journey begins with the first step, you know, or, uh, what's the other, I can't remember. There's a joke in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, it, well, it's and, and, in a way it's being able to manage overwhelming tasks. You have to have faith. In other words, you know, yeah. forget about the big picture. How about the small picture? What have you done today? Well, but you know, one you thing know, I want to say. Today's the day. You know, this is the day. No other day matters. How about today? What are you going to do today? How about getting up off your dead ass and doing something? Because it will feel good, actually. Well, let me just say one of the things that has happened to me, at least when I go nationally, and you probably know this, both of you guys, all of you, because you don't talk too much about recovery when you're on tour. But, you know, the thing about it is, is that you're either a Christian and you were raised in this kind of fundamentalist household or you have had no spiritual or religious training. I met this kid a couple of weeks ago, and he's 18. And um, he said, if, I would have, if my parents would have wanted me to go to church, I'd have been raised in one. I don't want to go to there. I, and what it really was, I found out, is he's so embarrassed he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Because, you know, kind of everybody else. Well, you don't have to say it, it anyway. Well, but I said, you know, <laughs> then, you know, ask them if at the end of it until you can learn it, they play the serenity but, prayer. Don't, you know, that's Actually, that's it. more of a, that's a more common thing around the country and the world is the serenity prayer. I which, know. Well, most, you know, you don't know the, who cares? You he know? didn't know where to find you it. You don't but, need but I'll, to I'll find out anything. This is something, uh, we're getting to that point. We talked about the, that uh, podcast with uh, Eden. Which is that it, it feels to me, and you guys, I love your opinion on this, and I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and I've been asking everybody about it, just seeing what we come up with. But it feels like we need a new narrative in this country. It's like our old narratives aren't working anymore. Uh, and I kind of feel like we were sort of had a hero cultural archetype going into the Second World War. We came out of that. We came out with sort of an anti-hero, drugs and sex, and you know, we rock and roll, rock and roll, and that sort of anti-social became the hero. And this is all burning out now, and it's and we now fractured into all right and all left and these extreme positions. What is what's a new narrative or new archetype that we think these people, young people, could particularly can grab no, onto? I said wisdom. Well, he, he said Solomon. Wisdom. Solomon. He said Solomon. Solomon is sort of the idea. We were with Eden Sassoon, who said she thought Athena, the myth of Athena, was something that would be good. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to happen, whatever it is. But don't, don't you guys feel like we're in sort of in a in a state of well, of I, I I don't I feel that to some extent. But what I do, what I think, what I feel more than that is um, belligerent ignorance is really popular now. You know, it's well, not, that's what I was. That's what he wanted me to tell you the story about when I was talking to those kids. They yeah. were they were belligerently ignorant. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that's exactly that's, right. That's, but that's become okay. But that's very and, scary. And, 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 that's that'd become be, okay. That'd be a great name for a band. And, and I, I mean, it's men without legs is my favorite. <laughs> that's that's been reflected in in our politics. So I, very, I mean, it's, and in it's French writ large in our politics. French, you know, in the French. Yes, French. Yeah. Poli- I mean, in our politics and Brexit, and, Brexit. But, all of those things. Um, so wisdom would make a sensible alternative. Well, respect of wisdom. Yeah. Well, well, how, let's start wisdom. with the littlest. Let's start with respect. I mean, I mean like yesterday was none. a march on science. Like I, I saw a sign that said, "Knowing things is good." <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and and the and then under it it said, 
Uh, geez, why do I have to say that? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. But, you know, you know like But, it's, I mean, now we have a culture now where knowing things is... Arrogant. Is, act, is, is arrogant. Well, it, well you can be, oh, you know, like, or authoritarian. Yeah. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, or knowing things is, is like, is not necessary. I don't know how any... I don't know anything about government... I don't know anything about the way government works. I don't even. I can't even tell you the name of the Speaker of the House on Tuesday, but I'm the president. Yeah, you know. In the well, United but- States, it's like six years ago. A guy named Dan O'Sullivan wrote on Twitter because I, uh, he said, America is literally so stupid that they will elect Donald Trump president, and you know that was in <laughs> 2011, and and well, so and like that the the. the the thread that was after that, we're like telling him why it was wrong. But so the new, the new narrative ought to be, you know, n- knowing things is good. Like, you know, is a good or thing. Or how about respecting people that know things? Right. Listening to people that know right. things. Because the, the whole phenomenon of experience and wisdom, they don't differentiate between knowledge and experience. So they have zero experience, tons of knowledge. And there's this gap. And they're equal. So, right. They're so somebody equal. coming in with experience has no better value than my Google search. Well, that's, that's a real mistake because in my business, in the music business, respect is, or is, is accorded to people with experience because, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. For, you know, especially if you're a musician. In this day and age, if you want to, you know, you want to go into the music business, whatever that might be right now, I yeah. goddamn if I can tell you, but you know <laughs> what I mean, <laughs> you know, really people funny. that are successful in the business over a long period of time, you listen to them because, you know, it's a mystery, man. Better be a judge on the voice, Bob. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, what that's, well, that'd be a real judge, you know, that, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's like, that's, that, that kind of a model is complete nonsense has nothing to do with reality it's arbitrary and is doesn't reflect anything true about music it's like or american the, idol are about making a living well as a here's, here's but the same the, now i i deal with a lot of young people in music right the same and what when what capacity they own an instrument <laughs> watch this stuff. Watch. <laughs> and i try to introduce them to john prine bob dylan real songwriting and they're not interested in it so we've across the board. You have a generation of young people who are not interested in in greatness, in knowledge, in experience. Well, what are they? They interested are they interested in? in fame. No, but I mean, what money? kind of music? When they they reject John Prine, so what is it they like as a, as an? Alternative? They like Beyonce. Almost all kids across the board love Beyonce. Well, that's fine. It, now let's go write a song that fits her her. Her, her bag. But you, you know, can't hear, hear that. Yeah, but it's not songwriting. It's just mimicry. Well, you know what I mean. Well, you know, uh, uh, creativity begins with imitation. You know, it always does. It's. I, uh, I believe it begins with absorption of things that you. Yeah, love, but I mean, imitation is the is the is the father of creation. Hmm. You have to, in other words, if you're an artist of any kind, the thing that inspires you is the hmm. thing that's going to. Whether it's in, in in painting or in music, or in any other field of the arts, you know the originality comes with the mastery of craft. Craft is content, and the mastery of craft begins with imitation. 
not at the beginning, at the beginning of the yes. process. Yeah. This is my my star right here. Yeah. This guy or this woman, this woman is the woman that I admire most. Inspires. This is what I want to do. This is what it has inspired me to begin this yes. process. Yeah. And that it's only natural that imitation is going to be first. And then what happens after that is a matter of time and a matter of, of how much creative energy and how much talent this person actually has. Is it going to evolve past imitation or not? Mm-hmm. You know? But it always begins with imitation. Well, music nowadays is imitation. It's, it's well, it's samples, always been that way to some extent. Samples of, well, I mean, you at least had to play your instrument. You didn't have to just sample well, something. Well, Bob Dylan didn't theater. play that good, but he, <laughs> but he could write, you know. Yeah, he, he could write, though, and then he, he played better as he, he went, you know. But when he first started, he was writing brilliant songs when he could hardly play, really. Mm-hmm. But well, he had vast experience, and he had a huge listening life. In terms of the things that he listened to, everything from, from you know, Lightning Hopkins to to uh, Woody Guthrie and so on and so forth, he wasn't like just locked into a certain thing. He was listening to, to be fair, though, all popular American music. He he came out of the fifties and sixties when the word literary expression was a, a revered form of. Uh, what we call it, communication right. and art. Yes. I mean, the word, I didn't realize, so I watched some documentaries about you know, Greenwich Village in the 50s and 60s and stuff, that everybody would just read and then sit around about and dream about being a writer. That's a your writer. secret word right yeah. there. Read. I know. And dream, yeah. Dream, but they dreamt about expressing with words. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, to me, as a non-musician, to me, I think of Bob Dylan more as a poet that happened to play music. You know what I mean? Well, to and, some and, extent, and that's some great true. Songs but I mean... It. His, his poetry, his, his lyrics don't hold up this, as well on the page as they do in the song. I, I, I agree. And I, but, and I, and I, it's, the, it's the two that made him great. Yeah. But, but I think he had a deep, profound you know, respect for the word. And well, yes. we came out of it. It doesn't exist anywhere. They don't, words don't matter at all. Do, do words matter at all? It's, it's, it, well, I'm going to see Kendrick Lamar tonight. I think you he's know, very good with words. Yeah, he really is. And he's a, he's he and like is his, probably his, the person of words right now. And he's and multi multi talented in terms of expression within all kinds of platforms. So and so there's hope. There's hope. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's that's I hope. think there's a lot of hope in his new album. Mm-hmm. You know, the album is is spiritual, I think. I think that He's he's coming at the idea of spirituality, the idea of you know I mean the healing, names of the tunes, healing, yeah. you know, and then the idea of and there's a lot of hope and what and like, we gonna be all right, yeah, you know. And <laughs> he's, that's that's, that's a the new the new. You know that's the, he wrote the anthem that's the new we shall overcome. Mm. It's called we gonna be all right. Nice. Uh-huh. We gonna be all right after we get back to this break. <laughs> Now, one of the most amazing parts of working in treatment is seeing a number of former patients successfully move on and choose to become mental health professionals themselves. Yes, I've seen it. And the field of psychology is vast. The need for competent practitioners has not been greater and never been greater. If you're considering this 
rewarding career, I suggest you look at the California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant University. I've been familiar with Alliant for some time now. I've spoken at their events. It was founded in 1969, boasts an alumni network of nearly 50,000 people worldwide. Alliant has fostered many of today's mental health pioneers, authors, and advocates. CSPP at Alliant University hosts both on-ground and online programs in business psychology, marriage and family therapy, clinical counseling. They also offer an APA-accredited doctoral program in clinical psychology that allows for specialization in child psychology, clinical forensic psychology, and integrated psychology. Faculty is industry leaders. Former faculty includes names like Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, Viktor Frankl. Come on now. Those are names everyone's heard, some of the fathers of modern psychology. For more information on the California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant, check the Alliant banner on my site or visit Alliant, A-L-L-I-A-N-T, dot E-D-U. That is Alliant, dot E-D-U. And we're back. So I want to tell Candy about this organization I started. All right, okay. What's the most corrupt part of the recovery industry? The call center. That's where it starts. I like it. Yes, right? and answer. Well, but, right? that, but yes, where does it start? That's where it starts. Yes. And so I and a couple of my friends started a nonprofit call center that gets people Medicaid, Blue Cross, HMO, will find treatment for them. Right? Everybody. It's called the National Addiction Foundation. And it just started about four months ago. We've already found 71 Medicaid people treatment. Wow. And he, you'll love this. So I'm dealing with an old friend of mine that's been going in and out, in and out, right? He calls me all desperate, and, um, and he has Medi-Cal. And I said, well, give me a couple of days. I'm going to talk to Megan. I'm going to figure it out. Get him a place in Texas that will take him. He goes, I want to go to fucking Texas. <laughs> well, that's not, you know, that sounds typical, doesn't it? <laughs> right. So I want Malibu. <laughs> right. Get the get the chariot, man. You know. Oh uh, yeah, this is one F word. That's all right. all right. Get the chariot. But, but you know, it's trying to clean things up. It's hard. Uh, you know. Well, I have to tell you a funny story. This uh, the show was looking for new interventionists. I said, "You mean ones with tattoos and <laughs> holes in their ears and aren't yeah. going to be seventy? Okay, hey, yeah. new look." And uh, he said, uh, yeah, we found this guy, and he named this guy. And I said, you can't hire that guy. First of all, he's not an interventionist. Second of all, he has a call system in Orange County, and you have to pay him $2,500 to have him. That's what the treatment center is yeah. paying him. And he goes, oh, Candy, that's nonsense. And I said, have uh-huh. somebody call up and fake it. He goes, you mean not be honest and say they needed help? And I thought, what? <laughs> running a tv show buddy not be honest if you're lying you fit right in you know and so he you know he wouldn't do it because he thought you know if they ever found out that he did i said i'll do it okay Uh, (laughs) right so i did it and so he goes yeah you can go here and you can go here and the secret word was you don't need to worry about a thing we'll get you some insurance now now it's not the treatment center's getting the insurance it's the call center right so you know, just trying to do the right how thing. Are you going, how are you guys doing something different? That than, we're getting that. whoever calls gets connected gets to help. treatment. Yeah. And it's not for profit. And it mostly is trying to take back the reins. What I don't like is sober people aren't in charge of the sober recovery world anymore. It's no, all it's equity cor- funds. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big money. And so to try to empower mom and pops again, that's what I'm trying to do. Mm. Because mom and pops can't compete with these huge marketing fees that these rehabs pay. Mm-hmm. So great places like CryHelp, right? 
impact the ranch uh, the ranch see she'll tell you the ranch, the ranch is the same. takes medicare medicaid and Medi-Cal. yeah good question here the ranch there are oh, places for the psych stuff here, here's what it is lost in scenic yeah I know. well, well the bi- problem, problem with the bipolar is you can't really tell if they're bipolar if they're it. on meth yeah, yeah as long as they're tell. on drugs let's do a yeah. diagnosis in six months that's exactly my so point but but 100 yes. percent the foundation would be able to play yes so and and that's the whole point is it, it this is why i like what they're doing it's a I, I couldn't find placement for a family member. It's so difficult, so mm-hmm. cumbersome to do it that they're doing it and taking responsibility and following through to me is a big deal. It's a big deal. You know, yeah. you said something, I don't know, years and years and years ago. I don't, it was, uh, that made so much sense to me that said, the only thing you really have to do is care and stay at it because eventually you can ask people for scholarships. They have them. You know, if you've got somebody dying, ask somebody for help. And no, that's I don't right. know what, what if, situation it was. No, that's always been my – the people that are really motivated find treatment. You bet. <laughs> they find treatment. You bet. And you, how many times have you and I, you know, cued them up at cry help or something and then they just don't follow through? Yeah, you know, that's, just, that's what I've told guys too. Like you got to keep calling. Well, they got to go I mean, on the heat. And, and yeah. by the way, and, and the, the programs don't want to hear from somebody else. They want to know that you want that. Oh, bed. yeah, they want to allow yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things I always say, they, Cry Help's doing this new thing where they tell them there's an eight-week waiting list. Yeah. And then the guy will call me and goes, I can't even get even a bed for eight weeks. I go, dude, they tell everybody that because they want to see if you're that's willing. Right. Call tomorrow morning. Well, that's the Tarzana model. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, I think that's well known. I'm, yeah. I tell guys, I'm, I'm just a guy... Working with other guys, yeah. and uh, I, that's what I tell them too. You make the, you keep calling, and I've got a couple guys that did that, and they're still sober. Five Here, years here's later, a guy. Here's a, this is an email at uh, doctor.com slash contact. It's all right. No, I'm reading emails. Yeah. Um, 22-year-old daughter needs help. I don't have money. We're Medi-Cal. She has Medi-Cal. Keep calling places, getting phone number after phone number. No one helps. Please, I'm begging. I don't have $1,000 a day. Yeah. Which is what people think it's going to... Call um, the National Addiction Foundation uh, and they'll, they yeah. got places in, in... Now, here's the thing, and you were spot Say on. Say that again. Call the National Addiction, Addiction Foundation. Foundation. It's a non-profit that I'm started. And the problem is we have places in Michigan, in Texas, that will take Medicaid. The people have to pay for their transportation. I always say... You know, I, I, I don't. Unless you, you know go to I mean? Florida, it's 180 bucks to take a Greyhound bus to Michigan. It's so important. I flew United. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's so desperate. Are you the one that pissed so off? Yeah. I flew United. You know? Mike, did you piss off that flight attendant before she attacked <laughs> yeah. that guy? Was that you? Here, I, mean, I, I really is... want to sober up. I'm, I'm, I'm flying United. <laughs> this is a really good question. This is a good one. You guys all like this. Hi, I'm working in the human services program with two years of sobriety and 12 step. Very involved. I'm having a hard time finding the separation between helping professionally and in a 12-step fashion. I'm even questioning if chemical dependency is the road for me. How can I get this inner struggle of 12-step and morphing into the guidelines of professional helping? I, I, I think behind that, too, is a feeling of codependency that's starting to express itself that needs some treatment. If but, I don't get them help, right. they'll never that's get right. help. That's right. I learned from Buddy. Buddy yeah. goes, Buddy you know. Arnold. Your first thing is recovery. Other than that's the gift, you know. You aren't getting anybody sober. You aren't intervening on anybody. You are the messenger. Other than that, just do what you know. But don't ever forget about your own recovery, you know. So so focus on her recovery. Go to some Al-Anon meetings. 
continue to advocate 12 step, but no, you aren't in control. Even of more this. practical. I stopped going to the big speaker meetings and go to more mail. I started, I changed my meetings up because the big, huge ones I'd always gone to Rodeo or third and Gardner. That's where people would know I was there and I can get people in through map. And, and I just thought, and it was the right time in my sobriety that I switched to men's stags, that's all smaller. My that's all right? I've been doing for like the last 20 years. And that's yeah, all I've been We haven't been to a meeting I mean, together in you know, 19 I'm years. not interested. I mean, that's where I get fed. There's, it's, the other main kind of things are fun, and I'll speak at them. You know, it's not like. Can't, you but can't in terms of you, taking care of me. How are you going to complain me? about him if you go to a meeting with him? You well, no, I have to correct him. That isn't how it was. <laughs> now, we never have gone to meetings. Well, we did the first couple of years. Uh, well, but, we went to the musicians' uh, meeting. You but, know. We, but, but I understand, you know, Girls I'm not aren't even allowed a professional. Girls are allowed at the Monday night meeting. Well, your mic. Hang on. <laughs> Which I think is off. Hey, 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 Dallas didn't like <laughs> They've got a private joke going over there. There's a, uh, I There's a private meeting saying. we were talking about, Mike. I'm not a I'm not a professional, but work, living with her with Candy, I I understand the the problem. Yeah, uh, and yeah. and I I sponsor guys that are in the, that are professional now that have gone back to school and gotten their masters and yeah. and are working in the field and they've had you know there's there's a, a high uh, a high percentage of recidivism in the professional area. I mean people that are yeah. sober people working. That happens a lot because the confusion between taking care of them and taking care of me is so. Is so uh, what did I always yell at you guys when we were running a program together? Yeah. What did I say? Go take care of your own sobriety. I said, go to Al Anon. Well, you, yeah. These people will take you out. Yeah, you that's you true. Do and not but to I, mention the confusion about whether or not me helping them is actually taking care of me. Right. That's not and, twelve and, step work. That's your professional. And, and life. you have to yeah. have deep humility too, because even the the patients that had the best sobriety always come back to me and goes, You didn't do anything. They'd always say that. I go, I don't care. Yeah. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I know, like, I wish that they would start a meeting like, for like professionals. B probably no human yeah, power could relieve us of our of our alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And my sponsor used to say Probably no human power, even Finnegan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, could so you know, don't take any swinging bows. You know, your job is to, is to carry a message. That's all. Yeah. You so know. here's a little hint that you need to do on on your way back sometime soon. Mm-hmm. You need to go to the um, Riverside Social Services Mental Health Division. They're the ones that are fielding all the phone calls. For um, that area, you know, in Riverside yeah, and, yeah. and Palm Springs and Indio and all that, because ABC takes Medi-Cal, Medicare, and so does the ranch, ranch now. Does, but they have a central that you get assessed there because it takes so long to do all that. And then they either divide them into the women's or men's program at the ranch or they send them to ABC, which has a plethora. I mean, like a senior, women with children, all that kind of Women with children out there? Yeah, right. with ABC. So, And it's all been changed. That's been a new high need is women and addicts, women and their children. It's kind more, of always more been so there. than ever before. Like it's always been around. No, yeah. Miriam. Yeah. New directions. <laughs> Miriam. But they're, new they're directions I've been sending people to for years. New directions and new visions and places like that, yeah. But let me, let me just ask something. Um, I treated a few people for really neurological illness that flew out of the Joe Cocker and Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour. Brains were broken. Yeah. Uh, ended up in nursing homes, young people. Uh, and I understand you worked with him too? Did yeah, you? I worked with Joe, but not in that period. I, w- I didn't work with I worked with him after he got sober. 
um, which was he sobered up mostly. He did, he stopped drinking, he stopped using all drugs, but he continued to smoke par- marijuana mm. occasionally, which I, you know, as far as I was concerned, is like. Fine. Yeah, yeah. He was, just <laughs> he was a drunk of another kind. Like, yeah, he yeah. was a uh, like I called him a heroic drunk. Oh yeah, well, those guys. I mean, like he did like epic, epic things. Yeah. And but I worked with him from 2007 till uh, late 2011, and um, but I heard plenty about uh, that period. And of course, I had some friends that were involved in that too. So, I mean. I'm pretty old. <laughs> well, the, the the magnitude of hallucinogen exposure then oh, yeah. was, was when 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 it be, the, that group started making it clear to the psychiatric community down here in Southern California just what the spectrum of neurological injury is from hallucinogen. That was where I first found psychiatrists talking about it. They were like, really? "Oh yeah, this LSD is very." They very, were talking about it, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's something Joe never did. Uh, I think maybe once or twice, and he said that was enough, but. Because he, he was a booze guy, but and maybe a few pills, depending on what you got in your pocket, and uh, but he said like at Woodstock, he said things were kind of when he performed there. He told me that uh, uh, things were really weird, and he goes, he found out later that everybody, and that was like eleven in the morning or something, that everyone in the band had taken LSD except sure. him. Sure. He said, which is not that much fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you something about Joe Cocker. He is such an. He was such an intellectual. Well, this is what the docu. I watched a documentary because I just yeah. Well, I just yeah. it just yeah. got out. Yeah, and they and they said they said he was so vibrant and so thoughtful and so expressive the way he could so speak. Oh and yes, was, and so thinking about everything. Uh, and he was a smart fiction. guy. Yeah. He was he yeah. was quite a reader. We were good friends when I worked with him because we both liked to read and and uh, he was a very passionate guy about a lot of subjects. But but also kind of taciturn, really, with in terms of his public per, persona. Well, it became that way anyway. Well, yeah, he didn't. He didn't. The only talking he did on stage was introducing the band. Except once in a while, he'd make a comment, which was always funny and spot on. To you know, well, except the audience didn't get it. Didn't get it, and. Like I told him, I said, you know what Lenny Bruce said: if the band laughs, you're in trouble. Did you ever? <laughs> did you ever see the Mad Dogs Englishman tour? I have the movie. movie. Yeah. I have the DVD. Yeah, you should see it. Well, I was a huge fan of Leon Russell. I yeah. saw him, yeah. twenty times. I just love Leon, and he, he was like, the, he was the ringleader. He was the maestro. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, the, he was. Yeah. yeah. Of, Chaos, really. Yeah. yeah, there you go, buddy. <laughs> no, it was it was a circus. And well, he, he was, was the, the guy really... that hired all that pulled everyone together, and he was, you know. You seen that uh, weird new movie uh, that he shot in '73 no. that came out? No, I haven't seen. It's 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 unbelievable how he was living in and some in Arkansas or Oklahoma oh, or something. Tulsa, Tulsa, but on a lake. And it was so Grand weird. Lake. The people that were living in his house and people. It's a documentary. Like, yeah. Well, it's like a 70s documentary. It's like it a whole its movie. Own, it has its own narrative, yeah. which I couldn't quite follow. Well, people wow. living in your house, which so, you know. Wow. But they emptied the swimming pool out, and they were they had a dining room table in the, the swimming bottom pool. Of it, yeah. <laughs> a lot. That was a period of time when a lot of people did things just for effect. <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird if we... Drain the swimming pool. Too much put acid. The dining, yeah. Put the dining. But acid, acid was behind all that weird well, stuff. Well, that's where you it? get your best ideas, right? 
<laughs> or at least that's what you think. That's when I know if somebody's not really into into twelve step, and they go, "Well, Doctor Bob took acid." Oh yeah, and I always go, "Not Doctor Bob, Bill no, Wilson." Bill Wilson. <laughs> Dr. Bob corrected um, you. Yes, Bill Wilson. And I go, and? Yeah. Though I would have liked to have seen Dr. Bob yeah, on acid. Too. That's what I was thinking. That's I had that vision. Well, that, they, that, that, that's a controversy that is kind of you know, pointless because he was, you know, I'm sure you know this about, you've probably talked about it. How, about Bill W.? Yeah. Well, there's, there's controversy about his hallucinogen use and his sexual improprieties. Those, right. Those well, his sexual that, improprieties, if you read page 69 to the end of the chapter, he's, He's pretty much talking about himself. <laughs> Most know? of the time. And which is okay. <laughs> like the, the notion that, that an alcoholic has character defects should not come as a shock to right, anyone. Right. Even the, one of the co-founders, you know, it's like, really? He had shortcomings. Huh? Yeah, and he had trouble wow. staying sober? No yeah, way. <laughs> that's really wild. Of course he did. You know, but the hallucinogen thing had to do with the idea of, of deflation at depth, which the people that were experimenting with LSD and learning about it in that period, which I, if I'm correct, was the early 50s, I think, mm-hmm. when he was exposed to it, had told him that there was a possibility that it might be useful in the treatment of alcoholism, alcoholism yeah. because of the fact that it could maybe induce this kind of ego deflation that was necessary for a, you know, a, a real surrender. Or, I mean, if not a spiritual experience, a surrender, a realization of, of course, but... And some of the notes that Bill took, according to the things I've read, that while he was experiencing that, his acid trip, which was supervised. And well, how about the fact that it reminds me of something, you know, when I think about and, acid. Set and setting, it was called. Well, it was I, in I a doctor's Listen, office. Listen, I, I think, I think hallucinogens will have use in end of life. They're doing it with oh, veterans. Yeah. With well, they're, using doing it, PTSD. they're using it for, uh, yeah. for depression, but, I but think. The, but but what, it, what occurs to me, though, is, yes, they're using it for depression. And uh, the veterans and trauma. And PTSD. PTSD. But, and I think it's probably going to end up being better for PTSD than depression. But, but what, it does, what it does occur to me is how you know bizarre it is that doctors can't do the research on a chemical because people moralize on chemicals. Right. It's weird. Those of us that are around addicts or have addiction or whatever, there's no moral issue <laughs> except no. how, how the disease makes you behave right. immorally. Of course. But, but the morality of a human's relation with a chemical has no moral context, no moral element to it. That's been an obstacle to recovery. Yeah. It's certainly been an obstacle to... Speaking of narratives, you know, the narrative for drug addiction, you know, the narrative for what the problem is and what's the, what the solution is, has been completely, there's a tr- huge obstacles because of the the, the uh, political... And the laws. The po- yeah. politi- politicization of the problem yeah. and and government uh, bad information, you know, well, disseminated talking- over periods of decades, wrong you know, completely wrong. And now, like once again, I hate to keep banging on him, but Jeff Sessions, we've got, <laughs> you know, he's a he's You're a, a banger. Na- by, by the way, Mike, he's Mike, a book is, on behalf of your program of rigorous honesty, you don't mind banging on him. You don't no, hate to bang on him. No, but I mean because he's an obstacle. You know, he's not helpful, and and nobody else is that is buying into all these old ideas that are that have been debunked over and over again, and especially with regard. To morality. With, I wish uh, we could change the narrative. Trauma causes addiction, well, not marijuana. Well, well, trauma. Trauma. Or on. just being a pig. Yeah, yeah, right. So <laughs> trauma, you, you know, trauma ignites but addiction. Trauma, it ignites but yet it. we don't seem real focused in this country on nurturing and, 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 and treatment for trauma. 
Well, we don't even consider it well, a thing. Well, uh, you know, what it says in the, in the brochure is we do EMDR. Right, right. <laughs> Give it up. That's a new sexy version. Which, well, uh, which unfortunately, the really sad part about that I is know. you can't do trauma treatment until they've been sober a year or two. And it can, well, it it can make things work. It can make, it can make things I work. Know. I understand, yes. We've seen it. Oh, I, it's just, I, we always said, I said, I, listen, I, what I would do with patients, I'd go, look, Here's your trauma. You've now you've discussed this with me, and it's had an impact on you. That's why you were unregulated. That's why you're looking for solutions. And now you're a drug addict. And now we must deal with that. This trauma thing, you can talk about it, but don't talk about it too much because it's going to make you feel like shit and want to use. So talk about it a little bit. Realize it's there. Realize you share that with your peers and that they support and understand it. Nothing wrong with you. We'll deal with it in a year. But <laughs> how do you feel about these I, I treatment centers? That and I agree. And by the way, my patients typically, will, if the really sober ones, will go, you know what? I don't really remember the first two years. Yeah. I don't remember them. How but, could I but do how do you work? feel yeah. about these treatment centers that are trauma centers? Well, it's a like, marketing gimmick. No, I disagree. No. Because occasionally, let's, let, me, let me talk about one that I have res- some respect for. Which is occasionally I, I get people who start slipping and sliding around later. They've had mo- lots of sobriety under their belt, but they're sliding around, and it does seem to be around the trauma. Then I'm happy for places like the Meadows. Then, then I'm like, let's go there. Let's spend a couple of ways. Let's dig into this trauma thing. Let me expose you to what the treatment is. And then for the next two years, you can work on that somewhere else. Well, but, but you need you to get can landed give you right some now. Tools. Yeah. It, it yeah. Changed, it's yeah. like, you know, it so, changed. So, me. so I, I think the trauma stuff has utility, but like, it's it's a tapestry. I keep using that word. We need a tapestry, not right. not. We need lots of different. Yeah, things like different yeah, they, you know, don't get hung up on that's this is yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. This is we, it. But you know, ten years ago, no, it was codependency. Well, yeah, and twenty years ago, it was Bradshaw. Thing flavors come and they go. But what, one thing that I think is never changed until now. Candy is, and Mike. What are the goals? Those are the two things that don't come and go. Years. They don't come and no, go. What are <laughs> they the stay. Goals, what are the goals that we're trying to achieve right now because the problem is so desperate? Survival is becoming right. the goal okay, so instead Bob, of thriving. Bob, I want you to know that... And that fully realized self. I want you to know that is the opening to my presentation in New Jersey. Oh. That is it. Like, oh. what, what are we doing here? Right. What are well, we doing? Well, what you said a minute ago is like... Put that to the side. Number one, here's what will kill you tomorrow. Yeah. Drug addiction. <laughs> you know? Well, but, but my profession will look at that and go, well, then we got to save lives. So we're going to put you on some methadone or some Suboxone, and that will save your life. And my question is, I ain't interested in that. I, no. I, I want to restore people to flourishing more than they ever knew they could. That well, of course, me. but first of all, we have to start with this. Yes, yes, but you we got But but I'm sure that I'm not sure that putting but, but you I, on something. No, of course not. I I don't think that's the answer. Sometimes it might be helpful, as we were talking about Suboxone. Yeah, yeah, some people. Yeah, it's it's but useful for people. some people in but, some but circumstances. Bob, the, the one thing I want to say to them is like, you know, when we were dealing with heroin addicts, hand over fist, we dealt with you know thousands of heroin addicts, you and I. And the one thing that never crossed my mind was, geez, I need some way of detoxing them better. It, it never crossed my mind. No. We we had no yeah. trouble detoxing. Any, did we no, ever? I mean, never. it was unpleasant, but it was never a problem. Tough. Yeah, it's like it was a problem. four or five days. Well, yeah. it's kind of like the invention of that that drug that helps people with uh, opioid induced constipation. <laughs> yeah. It's like He's, what the hell? Oh, we he, don't need when that. When that comes on, he goes out. <laughs> we, you know, that's this is where it's come to. You know, <laughs> are you Super addicted Bowl. to opioids? You're probably Super having Bowl. trouble on the toilet. <laughs> You know, let's fix that. Here, we got the answer for you right here. The you side effects this. are didn't, leaking didn't anus. Suboxone have the <laughs> largest incentive program there's ever been in a pharmaceutical company. With the with NIDA, it's been unbelievable. Uh, and and it, the fact that that's gone under the radar to me is uh, Volcal. 
Well, Nora is a wonderful scientist. No, not, she not started. A, she started getting wobbly ten years ago. Not about a clinician. It. Not a clinician. Money. No, I don't because she doesn't. She doesn't personally benefit from it. I think she believes that. But she believed it. I think she believes this is the thing, and uh, they don't like our twenty percent success rate. Right. They don't like it. Right. What are you talking I about? Do. The, what? what? The, 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 the good treatment in America, I always think, runs at about twenty percent. Okay, success yeah, rate. they think that's they don't not good like enough. that. They, yeah. they don't think that's well, yeah, good but they, that's because they don't understand the illness, right? You know, yeah. like if you this is extremely complicated, maybe more so than any other illness, because even people that have it and recover from it for over long periods of time are as, as just as baffled as anybody else as to why. Yeah. You know, why did he do that? You know, well, yeah. damn to find out. What's up with these addicts? <laughs> you know? and, a, and the other thing that's happening now is that the, one of the drill secrets, I'm also going to present this, it takes on average about four treatments in five years to get one year of sobriety yeah. with alcohol. And so now I'm, I'm wondering, I got to look at that data more carefully because I don't know four treatments those three days, those two weeks, those two months. Right. Those four, and, and, who's to, and who did they ask? Is he, right. how, how, how much of a liar is he? We're going to have to leave this conversation at that. The recovery is the, a cumulative effort. Well, it's flur- It's a human effort. It's a. It's a. It's no, a, but I mean, I don't think the treatment is a failure and then a success if if the person finds sobriety. I I look at my life like I went to treatment because a girlfriend of mine's dad got sober and okay. she wanted me to but, get sober. But, but again, and one thing led to the other, brains, to the other, to the other for nine years, and then I got sober. Bob, b- b- brains heal other brains. That's it. It's a human condition with a human solution. That, that's, and it is a brain disease. It's a brain disease, a brain and body Finally, and soul. finally. And, it's not a moral. I mean, that's what. I know, but it, you got, it, that's the, those winds are blowing again. Oh, I got news I, for oh, you. I, that's <laughs> why, why do you think I brought it up? I yeah. was like just I said, there. I can, every time I hear him talk, it's 1936. <laughs> that's right. I, I was just in the moral issue of the whole thing. All right. We've got to wrap it up. Thank you, as You're always. Thank you. Thanks pleasure. for having me. It's thank our pleasure. you, guys. We'll see you next time.
Thank <laughs> you.